0: Turn, grab your Bibles. Who, who brought your Bible today? Put it up in the air. I want to see it. It can be an iPod. It can be your telephone. Whatever it is, all right. Grab your Bibles. Open up to Psalm eighty. I, I've heard a lot of you say, "Man, these Psalms have really been been ministering to you." That's awesome. God's you know God's word is kind of awesome. You know, <laughs> it changes our lives if we apply if we apply to it. Um. So as you're turning there. Let's remember what we've been looking at these past Sundays, and what we're going to look at in the Psalms the last couple of weeks. We're looking for the repeated themes from the book of Psalms, those ideas or themes that God has inspired the, thom- the psalmists to come back to again and again. And what, we found is, or what we're finding is, there's all these things that Psalms reveals about God, that God is so- something. And so that's what we've been looking at. And so God repeats these themes, so... For a purpose. As he repeats them, he repeats them so that we will pay attention to them. A biblical understanding, a way to understand the Bible is repetition is for emphasis. When God repeats something, your, your eyes should light up. You get your pen out and say, this is important in your Bible. And so we're going to, today, let's turn our attention to something that he repeats all the time. So Psalm 80, verses 1 through 3, we'll start right there. It says, O oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel... You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your power and come save us. O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. The Psalms, we'll stop right there. The Psalms, Psalm 80. Like so many of the Psalms, reveal something to us that we want to pay attention to today. And it's incredibly relevant in our day and age to understand. It reveals a special relationship between God and the nation of Israel. The psalmist says in Psalm 80 here that, Israel, that, that God is the shepherd of Israel. And it says he leads them like a flock, that he cares for them and he protects them and he provides for them. And he says this, God, if, if you would just cause your face to shine upon us, we'll be saved. Saved from our enemies. Saved from all adversity, they knew they had a special relationship with God. And what we see throughout the Psalms is this. This is the, the God is for today, is this. God is Israel's defender and hope. And that's what we want to talk about today. And you're going to see how applicable it is or how important it is for us to understand that in the day and age we live in. That God is Israel's defender and hope. Now let's think about Israel for a minute, because some of you might just think, well, Israel, yeah, it's a nation on the other side of the world, the Middle East, they're always lobbing bombs at each other over there. And you're just thinking about that, and you don't really, maybe haven't put it in a biblical context, the importance of Israel, how Israel began, and where they came from. And I want to give you a really brief history of that. You see, God had created the world good and wonderful. Is that going back far enough for history? In the beginning, God created And he created a world that was good and beautiful. And the scriptures tell us that he placed Adam and Eve in the garden to enjoy his presence and his creation's abundance. But it says in the scriptures that Adam and Eve sinned and they were removed from the paradise of God to scratch out a living um, and eventually die, which they did. The generations following Adam and Eve grew increasingly more wicked and more violent until God finally said, I've had enough. And what did he do? He wiped out all of human history with a large flood, and then he spared only Noah and his family, who he then said, now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the world. And they did that. And from among this new population, post-flood, post-diluvian, after this flood, God selected a man. He said, I've been dealing with all of humanity as a whole, and that's not going so good, so now I'll pick one guy, and I'm going to do something to this one guy. His name is Abram, who we later know as Abraham. And he says, you know what? I'm going to pick this one guy, and he is going to be the father of a nation. And he did it for a reason. He said he's going to be the father of a nation through which God himself would reveal his unconditional love. People would understand who God was by saying how he interacted with Israel, and through which he would bring a savior that would rescue people from the effects of sin that had begun with Adam. That was God's plan. It's why He started a nation through Abraham. God chose Abraham to father a nation, the nation that we today call Israel, or we think of as the Jewish people. And God made a deal with them. In the very beginning, in Genesis, God says this, and it's going to be up on the screen. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. It says that I will make... Um, I, I will, Make you a great nation, and and I will bless you, and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I shall bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That was the promise, the deal, the covenant that God made with Abraham, saying I'm going to make a nation out of you. I will make a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Now that has ramifications in our foreign policy. So Israel has this special relationship with God from the day, no, from before it was started. He said, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. That God is, he said, I will be your defender and your hope. And the Psalms continually repeat this. If you read the 150 Psalms, you see this all the time. God talking about his special relationship with, with Israel. And what we see so plainly from the Psalms is that God loves Israel and always will love Israel. He loves the Jewish people, always will love the Jewish people. He will always love the descendants of Abraham. Now that makes sense so far? Okay. Now, Psalms reveals something else about Israel, and it's this. And it's kind of surprising, but it's going to answer some questions for you. It says that others hate Israel and want to destroy Israel. God loves Israel. God's got a special place for Israel. But others hate Israel and want to see Israel destroyed. Turn just one page in your Bible, probably, to Psalm 83. Look at the first four verses. This can explain a little bit for you from the six o'clock news. Do people still watch the six o'clock news? Or is everything on the internet. You know, I don't think I've watched the news forever. Just go and look what's happening on the internet. Um, oh God, do not remain quiet. Do not be still, and oh God, do not silent and do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar, and those who hate you have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, Come and let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. Understand something, church. Ever since God established Israel and blessed her, others had hated, have hated her, have hated the nation of Israel, the people of God. And I want to explain something. See, Ultimately, there's a reason for this. And it's a reason deeper than politics, it's more profound than personalities, because that's what it usually boil down to. Oh, their leader or their political position or whatever. It's it's much a reason beyond politics and personalities. This is the reason why what the psalmist wrote about people hating Israel is true, and it's very simple. It's simply this what God loves, Satan hates. What God loves, Satan hates. Satan hates God, and he hates whatever God loves. So God, God loves Israel, so Satan hates Israel and wants to see Israel destroyed. What God loves, Satan hates. Now, that applies to the Middle East and to Israel, but it applies to everything in your life. This is a broad, a broad category, a broad application that you can f- suddenly figure things out in your life and things become clearer when you understand that what God loves Satan hates. So let me just explain a few things on on how this works in your life. God loves marriage, so Satan hates it and tries to destroy it. God loves holiness, so Satan promotes sin. God loves heterosexuality, so Satan um, promotes something contrary to that. God loves truth, so Satan teaches lies. God loves the church. So Satan hates the church, and he tries to divide and to destroy it. What God loves, Satan hates. And one of the things that God dearly loves, according to the Scriptures, is God loves Israel, the nation he birthed to reveal himself and his love to the world and bring a Savior through. So Satan hates Israel. So from the very beginning of a nation's history, there has been satanically inspired conflict against the nation Israel. And I want you to understand, this conflict began all the way back with Abraham's own family with the birth of his two sons. And something's going to become crystal clear as as we go through this right now. This conflict began, not even with other nations, this conflict began in his very own household. You see, Scripture tells us something. It says that God chose Abraham, we said, to be the father of a great nation, but there was a problem. What was the problem with that plan, God? They weren't having any babies. Sarah was barren. So God says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. But his wife, Sarah, was barren and they had no children. So understanding the promise of God and the plan of God, they eventually said, God, I'm going to take things out of my own hands. Friends, can I tell you that's a bad idea? You wait upon the Lord when he gives you something. You don't try to get ahead of God. They tried to get ahead of God. A whole lot of things get done wrong in the kingdom of God because we try to get ahead of God. So in time, they took matters into their own hands, and, and Sarah said, I got an idea, and it was acceptable in the culture of that day. She took her, her maid servant, her, her servant girl, named Hagar, and she gave Hagar to Abraham to be his wife, to bear him a child in her place. And so she and it was customary to do it back then, and they did that, and Hagar did have a son from Abraham. You remember what his name is? Ishmael. But Ishmael wasn't the son God was going to build a nation through. God already had a plan. I'm going to give you a son. God knew who his son was going to be, it was going to be Isaac. In fact, God said something about Ishmael from the time he was born. In Genesis 16, he says, Ishmael would be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand would be against everyone. And everyone's hand would be against him. In other words, God says this, your son is going to be trouble. Ishmael is going to cause some problems. Then some years later, when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, when there's no way they could have a baby, God did a miracle and caused them to have a son, Isaac, Isaac. The son of promise. The son that God would use to continue to build the nation that, it, through, that, he, that, he, that he birthed through Abraham. This nation that would reveal his love and bring a savior to the world. And scripture tells us that trouble arose between the two boys and their mothers. In fact, such trouble that Abraham eventually had to send Hagar and Ishmael off on their own and cut them off from the family. He had to say, listen, get out of here. Go. God said he'd take care of them, and God did. But it, it divided their household. Now these two boys, if you look through history, these two boys both became the foundations of two great people groups. Isaac, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, became a, a, the founding part of developing the Jews, the nation of Israel, And Ishmael, out of him, came all of the Arab world. And the conflict that began within the tent of Abraham between the two sons has raged for almost 4,000 years into what we know today as the Arab-Israeli conflict. What's been going on as long as I've been alive and longer than any of us have been alive, it's been going on for 4,000 years. In fact, it's the same conflict that we see on the news every single day between Israel and Palestine and between Israel and the rest of the Arab world and between the Arab world, and I'll explain this in a minute, the Arab world and the followers of Jesus. And it's going to make sense in a minute. Why? It's a conflict between the sons of Isaac and the sons of Israel, of of, of Ishmael rather, the sons of Isaac and the sons of Ishmael. And I want you to see this clearly um, so that you'll understand what's going on in your world today and what's going on in the past and what's going to go on in the future. I want you to look at a chart with me. This is a a lineage chart. And this chart shows, starting with uh, Adam at the top, it shows the the descendants, the the history of of really the world, but the world and then branching into just the, the descendants of Abraham. So you have Abraham and Noah... I mean, Adam and Noah and Abraham, and the red arrows represent one generation only. The blue arrows represent all kinds of time, long, long, long seasons of time. And so long period of time between Adam and Noah, long period of time between Noah and Abraham. And then Abraham has two boys. Ishmael, he has first, because they took matters into their own hands, and then Isaac, the the son of promise. From Ishmael, you go all the way down, and you come to Ishmael's grandfather, who's considered a prophet, to the Arab world, and then out of him comes Muhammad. Who's Muhammad? The prophet, the founder of Islam. Okay? To make things clear for you in a second. But then you come to Isaac. Out of Isaac, one side of his tree, family tree goes to Moses, and then down all through Isaac' lineage comes Mary. One generation after Mary comes Jesus. And so what you see is from Abraham's two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, you follow their family line, and you come to Muhammad, the father of Islam, and Jesus, the founder of Christianity and the completion, the Messiah of the Jewish nation. His friends, there is an ancient conflict between the sons of Ishmael, the Arab world, now understand, the Arab world, which is most of the Islamic world, world today most of the the islamic world the muslims are in the arab world followers of mohammed the son of ishmael and the sons of isaac who are the jews national israel and they're scattered around the world and christians because as a christian you are a follower of a jew named jesus That's who you are. You're a follower of a Jew named Jesus. It's why Muslims blow up with airplanes, our Twin Towers in New York. And it's why they are lobbing missiles into Israel today. Because the sons of Ishmael hate the sons of Isaac that Ishmael would be a wild donkey of a man, and he would cause all kinds of problems, and that's exactly what you're seeing happening in the world today. Friends, understand it. It's simply Bible prophecy being proven true. And church, this is so important for us Christians to understand. To know that Middle East conflict and the conflict that spreads between these people groups around the world is not primarily a political conflict. So there's no political answers to it. It is a spiritual conflict. What God loves, Satan hates. God loves the sons of Isaac. So hear me today. So Satan uses misguided sons of Ishmael to try to destroy them. That's what's going on. And to try to destroy the West, whom they see as sympathetic to Israel and followers of Jesus. It's not political, it's spiritual. Now, I want us to do something that I do very, very rarely. I want us to watch a short video. It's about four minutes long, I think, that's going to explain this modern expression of this much better and in more detail than I can. So let's play that short video today.
1: I took many courses on the question of the Middle East conflict. Semester after semester, we studied the Middle East conflict as if it was the most complex conflict in the world, when in fact, it is probably the easiest conflict in the world to explain. It may be the hardest to solve, but it is the easiest to explain. In a nutshell, it's this. One side wants the other side dead. Israel wants to exist as a Jewish state and to live in peace. Israel also recognizes the right of Palestinians to have their own state and to live in peace. The problem, however, is that most Palestinians and many other Muslims and Arabs do not recognize the right of the Jewish State of Israel to exist. This has been true since 1947, when the United Nations voted to divide the land called Palestine into a Jewish state and an Arab state. The Jews accepted the United Nations partition, but no Arab or any other Muslim country accepted it. When British rule ended on May 15, 1948, The armies of all the neighboring Arab states, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Transjordan, and Egypt, attacked the one-day-old state of Israel in order to destroy it. But to the world's surprise, the little Jewish state survived. Then it happened again. In 1967, the dictator of Egypt, Gamal Abdel Nasser, announced his plan, in his words, to destroy Israel. He placed Egyptian troops on Israel's border, and armies of surrounding Arab countries were also mobilized to attack. However, Israel preemptively attacked Egypt and Syria. Israel did not attack Jordan and begged Jordan's king not to join the war. But he did. And only because of that did Israel take control of Jordanian land, specifically the west bank of the Jordan River. Shortly after the war, the Arab states went to Khartoum, Sudan, and announced their famous three no's. No recognition, no peace, and no negotiations. What was Israel supposed to do? Well, one thing Israel did a little more than a decade later in 1978 was to give the entire Sinai Peninsula, an area of land bigger than Israel itself and with oil, back to Egypt, because Egypt, under new leadership, signed a peace agreement with Israel. So Israel gave land for the promise of peace with Egypt, and it has always been willing to do the same thing with the Palestinians. All the Palestinians have ever had to do is recognize Israel as a Jewish state and promise to live in peace with it. But when Israel has proposed trading land for peace, as it did in 2000, When it agreed to give the Palestinians a sovereign state in more than 95% of the West Bank and all of Gaza, the Palestinian leadership rejected the offer and instead responded by sending waves of suicide terrorists into Israel. Meanwhile, Palestinian radio, television, and school curricula remain filled with glorification of terrorists, demonization of Jews and the daily repeated message that Israel should cease to exist. So it's not hard to explain the Middle East dispute. One side wants the other dead. The motto of Hamas, the Palestinian rulers of Gaza, is we love death as much as the Jews love life. There are 22 Arab states in the world stretching from the Atlantic Ocean to the Indian Ocean. There is one Jewish state in the world, and it is about the size of New Jersey. In fact, tiny El Salvador is larger than Israel. Finally, think about these two questions. If tomorrow Israel laid down its arms and announced, we will fight no more, what would happen? And if the Arab countries around Israel laid down their arms and announced, we will fight no more, what would happen? In the first case, There would be an immediate destruction of the state of Israel and mass murder of its Jewish population. In the second case, there would be peace the next day. As I said at the outset, it is a simple problem to describe. One side wants the other dead. And if it didn't, there would be peace. Please remember this. There has never been a state in the geographic area known as Palestine... That was not Jewish. Israel is the third Jewish state to exist in that area. There was never an Arab state, never a Palestinian state, never a Muslim or any other state. That's the issue. Why can't the one Jewish state the size of El Salvador be allowed to exist? That is the Middle East problem. I'm Dennis Prager.
0: Now... You guys know something about me. If you're visiting, you don't know this, so I'll explain it. My position in the church is to try everything to be apolitical. That means non-political. I don't allow us to get into presidential things and this candidate and that candidate. Because you know what? I want people from every side of the fence. And I don't want to sound political in what I'm doing here. Because guess what? There might not be many right now, but we just may have some, some Muslims who end up in our community. Maybe we have a few. I'm not... I haven't met any yet, but there are probably some. I think you work with some. I want to see them get saved. I'm not trying to be political here. That's not my goal here, to try to be political. I'm simply trying to help you understand what's really going on. And I know he said it started in 1948. It didn't start in 1948. It started in the tent of Abraham. And Bible prophecy said it was going to happen, and it did. Simply for this reason. What God loves, Satan hates. So Satan hates Jews, and he hates the followers of Jesus. It's why Israel is being bombed. But beyond that, it's why right now in Iraq, as we're sitting here in church, worshiping, enjoying the goodness of God, drinking coffee before church and eating donuts, our brothers and sisters in Christ right now in Iraq are being their churches are being burned to the ground, they're being driven from their homes, and their whole families, thousands of them already, are being taken in public and having their heads chopped off. For one reason and only one reason. They will not renounce following Jesus and commit to following Muslim uh, Islam, the, the son of Ishmael. That's the only reason they're, being, they're not doing anything wrong. They've not hurt anybody. Matter of fact, they're, they're great people. They're, they're, there's no accusations against them. But they refuse to follow the son of Ishmael because they want to follow the son of Isaac. And right now as we're sitting in church, they are being beheaded for their faith. That's the reality of the world around us. And we need to understand the only reason that little Israel even exists is because God is her defender. The psalmists understood this. And so should we. Psalm 124 says it this way. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. That's the reality. And here's what I want you to understand today. There will be no lasting peace in the Middle East or anywhere else in this world during this season of human history. Because Ishmael wants Isaac dead. The bombing is not going to stop. Negotiations and compromise will not work. doesn't mean we shouldn't work towards peace. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying ultimately, it's not going to happen in this season of life, in this season of human history. Now this brings us to the last thing I want to point out from Psalms. This brings us to something else the Psalms tells us about this conflict, and it's what we really got to get today. Psalm 1 twenty-two verse six. It says this. Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace, verse 7, be within your walls, and prosperity within your palaces. Pray for the peace of of Jerusalem, which is the headquarters of Israel. Pray for the peace. Pray for the conflict to stop. Now, if you're like me, and you're logical, you've got you got you to get their ducks in a row. For me, everything has to make sense. And it, it can drive me nuts sometimes, because everything has to make sense. It gotta, i got to line it all up. The question I have when I read this is why would God instruct us through his word, through the inspiration of a psalmist, to pray for something that will not happen. Have you ever asked yourself that question? I've asked myself the question for, for decades since I've served the Lord. God didn't make any sense. What was the answer to the question? And This is the answer. Why? Because this season of human history will come to an end. And I think maybe soon. Bible prophecy says a day is coming when Jesus is going to return. And what's he going to do? In that day, he will be enthroned as king of kings and lord of lords. And it says he's going to do something when he gets back. He's going to rule with an iron fist, an iron hand, and all the world, to all the world, and he will bring peace to Jerusalem and the world when he returns. That's what the Bible says is going to happen. He will settle the ancient conflict. He will be, what do we know is term his, one of his titles? He will be the Prince of Peace. When he returns, he will be the Prince of Peace. He will defeat Satan. So understand this, church. When Psalm 122.6 says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, when you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you are praying for the return of Christ and the establishment of, of His kingdom on earth. So when Jesus said to us, when you pray, pray this way. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's, that's the outcome. That's the final outcome. When, when, this, when, the, um, when Paul finishes an epistle and he says, even so, Mar- Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come and wrap this whole thing up. Come Prince Of peace. Friends, when you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you're praying for the return of Christ. Jesus' return is the only path to peace. So realize that as you watch the news and hear of ceasefires and peace treaties and pressure being put on little teeny Israel to basically give up everything or we're going to continue to blow you up. And this whole conflict that's going on right now literally has nothing to do other than Israel defending itself and finally saying, we're going to go into, into Palestine and we're going to blow up all the tunnels that they're bringing missiles through to keep shooting at us. They've lobbed over 3,000 missiles at Israel in the last month. You know, and, the, and the Iron Dome keeps stopping them. Boom, 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 boom. Almost all of them. You know what? There's never going to be peace. Until Jesus returns. So realize that as you watch the news and hear of ceasefires and peace talks. The way we see peace come to this world is number one, we come to know Jesus and we bring peace into our world. That we act as representatives of Christ and we bring peace into our families. We stop the chaos among our families and our friends. We act like Jesus. But then peace in the world will come when the Prince of Peace and he comes back to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem is what it says that's where he's going to come to establish himself as a prince of peace and establish his rule and reign on earth for a thousand years before we go into the rest of eternity so you know what that is the path of peace Jesus he's the only answer for the world today get this if all the world came to know Christ today peace would happen because we'd be following the sons of Isaac, and not being attacked by the sons of Ishmael. Does that make sense? All right. Now, one closing statement before I say this. That does not mean that Christians and Jews have done everything right. Brett and I were talking about this in a revolutions class last year, and he said something to me as I was preparing this, before, actually before I was preparing this, but it affected. He goes, Dad, you know, I was reading about the Crusades. And he said, you know that Christians, when they go on the Crusades and they'd go off to fight the Moors, the Muslims in Jerusalem, they would stop off and slaughter whole Jewish, Jewish cities on the way. Because why would they do that? Well, God loves, Satan hates, and these people who claim to be Christians weren't really, weren't really Christians, obviously, or understood what God wanted. So it doesn't mean that, that evil bad them and righteous perfect us. No, what it means is there's an ancient conflict. We need to understand it. That's what it means. And we need to act like Jesus in our families, in our community, and in our world. And ultimately, real peace will come when the Prince of Peace comes and establishes his rule and reign in this world. that makes sense? Why don't you stand with me this morning? I want us to join together and obey the Psalms this morning. I want to lead us in a, a brief prayer. that is just praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Because the psalmist tells us to do so. So let's pray together, our Heavenly Father. We see clearly something that is spiritual and the world looks at as political. That, Lord, you love Israel. That you have a special place for her. And that, and that, that right now we do know from the Bible that, that as a nation, as a whole people, they've kind of they've rejected you. But you're using Gentiles, it says, to make Israel jealous for their own God. And someday they're going to get it. And so, Lord, we as followers of Jesus, the Jewish descendant of Isaac, Lord, we want to obey your word today. And we lift up that conflict in Israel and we pray somehow, God, even though we know from the scripture it really won't be lasting, it will never ultimately happen. We do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, God, somehow bring a calm to that place. But ultimately, we pray this. We pray with the Apostle Paul, Maranatha, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we're ready. We know it's Your timing when You return, Jesus, but we're saying, we obey Your Scripture, and we say, Lord, come back. Come back and establish Your rule in this world. Come back and redeem Your bride. Come back and receive us to Yourself. So, Lord Jesus, we pray, we want to see You. Enthroned in, in, as the Prince of Peace in this world, a world that doesn't even know you're real, but you really are in control of everything. So, Father, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. In so doing, we're praying for peace in the Middle East and around the world, because you're going to come back, come and establish peace there. Now, Lord, we know something else. As we're all in prayer this morning, we understand this. That there's another kind of peace that you bring. There's a peace that comes from a person who didn't know you coming to know you as Savior and Lord. Being grafted into the family of God and becoming one of those blessed ones that you say you love. Israel and that we become grafted into that lineage when we become followers of Jesus when we become Christians and his special love and blessing rests upon us and it's just possible Lord I don't know what you do that just maybe there's someone here today maybe many people who have never really made you the Lord of their life Jesus They've never really come to understand that they need to die to their old life and live in Christ. That you want to help them overcome the past. And you want to give them something brand new. You don't want to just clean them up. You want to make them brand new, transformed to the power of the Holy Spirit. And that you said that that peace that comes from that can happen to any person at any time when they say yes to you. When they say, I want to turn away from my old life and I want to accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And so maybe you're here today with our eyes closed and our heads bowed. And you say, I've really, Pastor Mark, never accepted Jesus as my Savior. But something's going on inside my spirit today. I don't even really maybe know what it is, but something is saying, this is for me. Friends, that's the Holy Spirit of God doing what He says He would do you to himself and I want to have, give you an opportunity to respond so people if their eyes are closed their heads are bought on a private moment but you say today I want to give my life to Jesus this is what I invite you to do right now I won't call you up but I want to see you to pray with I want you to raise up your hand you when I see your hand raised I'm going to tell you to put it back down just slip it up and we're, I'm going, to, we're going to pray together with the church thank you Jesus praise you Lord Oh, Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. God, we want to see your return. And we pray, bring peace into the life of every person in this place. Help us be people who are are agents of peace. You said, blessed are the peacemakers. But ultimately, Lord, bring peace to this world. Peace to this world, God. By coming back. So, Lord Jesus. We welcome your return into our lives now and into our world at your appointed time. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. And everybody said,